0: Welcome back to our third episode of Things My Friends Know. I'm your host, Lisa Lindenfelser, and I'm here to talk with my friends about their passions. In today's episode, we chat with David Kay, whose hobby of poker took him on a journey he never expected, including a new outlook on life. Hello and welcome. We're here with David Kaye to talk about poker. David Kay, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm excited to be here.
0: (laughs) We're excited to have you. So I want to talk right up front about something that you and I disagree about, which is I call you a semi-professional poker player and you say it's just a hobby.
1: Yeah, so I think to me, I guess the biggest thing and the difference would be if I hear like semi-professional, that would mean like you're doing an act as like the intent of trying to make money.
2: Um, mm. So even
1: though I've made money playing, I still look at it as a hobby because it's more of like it's just kind of happened. It's not really like my goal when I'm playing or anything like that.
0: Okay, so because you're just doing it for fun and you have no interest in actually making a partial living off of it, it that's why you're not semi-professional.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what I would say. I mean, at the end of the day, it really is kind of the same way. I mean, it's a hobby that makes money. So I guess if we can come to a neutral agreement, I guess we can word it that way.
0: <laughs> that's very like a very political answer of you like come to a compromise. Well, yeah, um...
1: exactly. You know, just trying to get to the middle.
0: <laughs> oh, David Kaye, you're hilarious. So why don't you kick it off by telling us how you got into poker in the first place?
1: Yeah, so I first started playing in the summer of 2010, so this was the summer between my senior year of high school and freshman year of college. Uh, My buddies and I just, I don't even know how we got into it, but somehow it came up to play a poker game, and we all got hooked, like, instantly, so Mm. that entire summer, it seems like we were playing, like, every day with a bunch of friends. I think we could get all the way up to, like, 15 to 16 people at once, so we'd have so many people, we'd have to have two tables And it was just a simple like $5 buy in tournament play down and the winner makes most of the money in a second place, maybe getting some as well. And it was just so much fun. I just really enjoyed the environment. Um, So it was just, it was really competitive. So I'm always a competitive person. So I love that environment. And I think for me that the thing that really drew me in is that I think I've kind of always been on a more competitive than most people, but for whatever reason, when you involve money for people, that kicks up the motivation for most everybody else. So even though it maybe isn't like my biggest driver, um, it brought up everybody else's competitive level and I just kind of really enjoy that environment. And also just like the, the analytical side of it, just like the strategy piece, I really like too. Uh, so when I was younger, I was into video games quite a bit. Oh. So I'd be using strategy and video games so that kind of just translated over to playing cards.
0: I had no idea you used to play video games.
1: Yeah, I got pretty big into the sports video games. So like there was a college football game and then like Madden, which would be the NFL game. Uh, So I would actually host video game tournaments like while we were in high school. Oh, wow. And it kind of goes back to that thing where like if you put any money out there for whatever reason, everybody else's competitive level uh, ticks up is that uh, we would put $5 on it. And it was just like, everybody instantly just got so serious. Like it's only $5, which I mean, I guess when you're in high school, it's different, but you know, it's just like that same kind of concept of like a strategy piece that would try to win money. And it just kind of like up the competitive level of everybody else, which is something I really enjoyed. So that's kind of like the transition that happened.
0: That's pretty cool. Pablo, did you ever go to the, the video game betting activities when you were in high school with David Kay?
2: I don't think so. I think David Kay and his friends were out of my league. <laughs> Video game. Wise. <laughs> Paul had some more of a life than maybe me and my friends that have sit around playing video games every weekend. No, that's not true.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting to me that you, when you were talking about how you got into poker, it was kind of about the community that really like drew you in, like the competitiveness, like the excitement that comes from actually putting money down on things. And that makes me laugh because when you go and play poker at the casinos in a non-Rona world, you don't really like going with people. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that happened from playing with all my friends is that it ended up being two of us that would take it serious. So for the most part, everybody else like, again, they're super competitive in the moment, but it's like, they're not actually spending time studying the game Mm. and like trying to improve to get better. It's more of like just to hang out with friends and try to win while you're there. Uh, So for me, when I go to the casino, especially a lot of times like in the pre-corona world, it's a pretty far drive. So it's like a almost two hour round trip to the closest casino. So to make it worth it, I want to be there and play for like at least eight hours. Whereas most of my friends, if they go, it's like, hey, let's go for two hours. So I don't want to be driving two hours to only play two hours. So I think that's usually the biggest reason of why I try to go separate.
0: That's a long ass amount of time to play poker in a row, like eight hours. Don't you get like fatigued or like your brain is just like dead and you're just over it?
1: Uh, not really. So when I first started playing poker, after my time playing with friends, I started playing online more. So when you play online, you're seeing a lot more hands per hour, as we call it. Mm. Uh, so when you're in the casino, you're probably seeing something like 30 hands per hour. Whereas when you're playing online, you can play like multiple games at the same time. Oh wow! So I could be playing six tables of the same game, but it's six different decision points. Um, And I can be playing like 400 hands in an hour. So even though like eight plus hours is a longer time than I would normally play uh, because there's many less decisions being made Mm -hmm. than I was used to from originally playing, it kind of makes up for that piece.
0: Wow, that is crazy. Like, that's like a really, it's like a math problem that I would have gotten on a test that I would have been really upset about. Like, if David Kay is playing six rounds of poker at one time, (laughs) how many decisions does he have to make per minute in the, (laughs) like, it just. Yeah, it it really is.
1: And it's like online poker in general, it's very like 21st century to me, right? Like, everybody needs to be multitasking at all times. And it's just like, it's the same activity you're doing, but you're doing it basically up to maybe six times. And there's people that can play way more tables than me. Uh, So it definitely like kind of trains you to, it keeps your brain sharp for like longer periods of time.
0: That's crazy. I literally don't think I would be capable of doing that (laughs) for anything. (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Okay. So were you really good at math, like in school?
1: So like, I was really good at mental maths and that's kind of what translates to poker. So like the very advanced math courses aren't what's gonna be involved in poker, but if like, because especially when you're playing lots of hands at a time, say like, you need Mm -hmm. need to be making quick decisions. So it's like, you need to get to the best conclusion as quick as possible. Uh, So something as simple as like counting how many outs you have on a draw. So what that would mean is like, there's a hand in poker, it's called a flush. So if you have five of the same suit, so like, let's say, you have two spades in your hand and there's two on the board with two cards to come. Mm -hmm. Can you calculate quickly, roughly, like what the percentage is that it hits? Because that'll dictate what action you want to take. So stuff like that's really important. And then pattern recognition. So it's impossible to like study every single hand, every flop, every situation that happens. But if you can recognize like patterns on similar types of boards or similar types of hands, it really helps you going forward as well. So I think basically it's just, A quick mental math, as well as like pattern recognition are the two biggest things I think that have really helped me.
0: I kind of feel like someday when we have a war and we have to like decode messages, like I'm going to call David Kay because that like basically (laughs) sounds like what you would be doing.
1: I'll figure out as fast as possible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, man, that's a a lot more thinking than I expected. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: And it's funny because like I think the biggest thing is when people hear that you play poker, a lot of times you might think of like the cool guy or it's like some big thing. But really, at the end of the day, it's extremely nerdy and it's like statistics driven Mm -hmm. Um, if the better you try to be.
0: Kind of like that guy on Jeopardy.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Same. James.
0: Yes. Thank you for remembering his name. I was never going to remember it. Like, wasn't he like a professional poker player?
1: I think he's like professional sports better. Yeah. But he's, play, he's played poker before though, too. So like sometimes you'll just like in any gambling thing where you're playing with an edge where you expect to make money. It's the same sort of thing where like with sports betting, you're running it based on analytics and pattern recognition of like, you know, what the house's lines are. So like a lot of it will cross over. So it's interesting to see someone like that go on Jeopardy and like see him do so well.
2: Is there always a consistent number of decks used when playing poker? Like, so if you're in a tournament with However many people is it always the same amount of cards available does that change your 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 mathematics
1: Yeah so they there's always only one deck in each hand but like say you go to the casino they'll have an automated automatic shuffler on the mm-hmm. side so for whatever reason some people are superstitious and think the deck is against them <laughs> so anyways <laughs> they'll have like a second deck ready if anyone complains about it it, it sounds crazy but it's a real thing What do you so, where
0: where do you fall on that side of like the the conspiracy
1: now, I'm the person that doesn't believe in any of it. And like, I think that luck, it's just like luck, the way things go. And it, I don't believe anyone's lucky or unlucky. I think it's like over wow. the long run, everyone's going to be equal. And it's just kind of like making the best decisions and letting the statistics play in your favor over the long term.
0: This got like really serious. Like you're kind of talking about like life at this point, like.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of funny too, because like, I think in general, like gambling and poker on average have a pretty bad reputation in the world. Although I think it's getting more and like better and better. Um, but there's like so many things I think that poker's taught me that can apply to life. So it's like that it's like, you can get unlucky in a situation, but the more times you put yourself in a situation to do well. So in poker, for example, I'm going to study, which gives me a better chance of doing well. Whereas someone who doesn't study at all, they might win one day, but in the future, they're less likely to win. So just like say in a work setting could be a lot easier example for most people of like, if you put in the work and you work 60 hours a week and you do all your assignments on time, you're more likely to advance in your career. It doesn't guarantee it, but it's giving yourself the better odds of it happening.
0: Wow. Like who knew that you were going to listen to a podcast episode about poker and get like a new outlook on life? This is like inspiring. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I do what I can. But no, it really like all jokes aside, it really is interesting. Uh, just the correlation where I don't think a lot of people would think that way. But it really has taught me some things that I can use away from playing too.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I wasn't joking. Like, I'm serious. Like, I think it's pretty cool that like poker, it, it is like a, like a way of life, but like not in a sad way, because that's like the way you think and approach the world. And that's pretty cool.
1: Hmm. Yeah, definitely adjusts like your thought processes on different things for sure.
2: So When you're playing poker, like, and you're taking it very seriously, when you get up from the table, like, you still have a lot of things that you have to do in regards to, like, you know, preparing and, you know, know how much money you're willing to spend or how much money you lost or maybe won and stuff like that. Like, do you have Excel sheets that you have to carry out through the week, month, year? I'm sure there's a whole lot of fun tax things that you have to deal with. Yeah. Taxes
1: is a nightmare. So I I have to go to like an accountant to do it. I think I could do it by myself at this point. Um, but especially to, because I'm a rec, so like I file as a recreational player since Mm I, I have a full-time job on the side. So my taxes are set up differently than that of a professional. And, uh, it's, it's really interesting going through, and I've learned a lot about taxes, just doing it. Like I said, I think at this point I could do it on my own, but it's good just to have a professional looking it over. Um, but as far as like the questions you'd ask, I think there's kind of two parts to it. And the first one is, yes, I have like an insane Excel file that like filters by each year, each like time I play. So with the taxes, you're supposed to report. It's not just you report your profit for the year. You're supposed to report every time you play and how much you won or how much you lost. So it's like it'll go infinite lines down and then... So I have that for like each year. And then I also have like an app that I can type stuff into. So it gives me an idea of like how well I'm doing in the games and can show me on a graph like, okay, things are trending well, they're trending bad. Um, But as far as like outside of poker too, to go along with that, but yeah, it kind of goes back to the studying that you'd mentioned. It's not as simple as like you just show up to the table and play and that's the only way to get better. In general, like you don't know what you don't know. So I've always been a huge believer whether, again, another life advice thing, but it's like, whether it's poker or anything else, like I'm going to realize there's people that are smarter than me on every single subject. So I try to go to the experts. Uh, So for example, right now I pay $50 a month to be part of like a training site. And they basically have just a bunch of charts. Um, articles, videos that just talk about strategy. So even though it kind of sounds like a lot of money, $50 a month, like it more than pays for itself many times over just because that makes me a better player, which makes me more money in the long run.
0: I mean, you're like literally studying the art of gambling, which is like super impressive and like studious, like a lot more work than I would have expected.
1: Yeah. It's, I, I wish I had to use the same studying tactics probably when I was going to school, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's easier to study. I think things that, you know, you're super passionate about. And I think that again, it still, ha- it did teach me different things to study in school. Um, but again, anything that you're super passionate about, you're more likely to put in the extra time. And again, school kind of taught me that you need to study to get good test results, which then I can mm-hmm. apply to poker. So there's things also that can go from outside of poker to poker. And that'd be one of them.
0: So you've talked quite a bit a lot about like playing in tournaments and playing like eight hours at a casino and you've actually been to the world series of poker at least once right
1: yes I've gone twice I went in 2014 and 2019
0: isn't that like is that like the Super Bowl of poker like tell me the significance of like the world series of poker I don't know
1: yeah, so there's a couple of misconceptions that people have about it. So your comparison of su- the Super Bowl of poker was actually a line I was gonna use, so you took that for me. So well done. <laughs> you did your research. Um, but yeah, so every year the World Series of Poker main event is the biggest tournament of the year or the Super Bowl of poker. So that tournament is a $10,000 buy-in. and I think the first place prize has gotten as high as like ten million dollars. So oh, that tournament wow. field is usually about six to 7,000 people at this point. Um, I have not played in that tournament because I'm not rolling in the dough like that. (laughs) Um, but so the world series of poker, so that's the big one that people have seen on ESPN. So for someone that doesn't play, that's like kind of your casual, um, viewing of the world series of poker, but the world series of poker itself is like six to seven weeks long. And it has over the course of 70 different tournaments or so. So I played in those, like what they call bracelet events. So if you win one, you win a bracelet, and they can range anywhere in buy-ins from $400 all the way up to 100000 So again, I don't do the $100,000. So I've done tournaments between $400 and 1500 and, uh And another thing too is a lot of people assume like, they're like, oh, you must be really good at poker to go. And it doesn't mean that as long as you have the money you could play. So like if either of you wanted to go play in a $400 tournament, <laughs> if you've never played before, you could do it. So That's again, fair. just being there doesn't mean you're good. But you know, it's still like, the mystique of like playing in it is definitely like a like you must do it if you're a poker player kind of thing
0: yeah like it's kind of like on the bucket list of like playing poker i'm sure there's a lot of those like actually getting a flush or like something like that
1: yeah exactly the bucket list of like that's the those are the events that Mm -hmm. you want to play
0: that's really cool so Fun fact, David Kay actually streams his poker live on Twitch, which is an app that allows live streaming. Um, and I've actually watched you play several times. Spoiler alert, I don't actually pay attention to the poker. I'm usually making dinner or <laughs> doing something else while I watch. but you've kind of amassed like a small fan base already. So tell us about the live stream. like why'd you decide to go that route especially since you see it as a hobby? Like tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So I think that everybody, it kind of goes to the COVID thing of everyone's trying to pick up a like COVID project. Right. And Mm -hmm. I've never been good at just sitting and doing nothing (laughs) or like relaxing. So I'm the type (laughs) of person that like always needs to be doing something, you know, challenging myself. So I think we got to, it was like towards the end of July and I've always watched a lot of content, not as much on Twitch, but I've watched like a lot of YouTube content that people put out on poker and I've really enjoyed it, but I've never done it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it too is like, it just takes a lot of time to put into it and working yeah. a full-time job, trying to have a social life, like just being able to find time to play poker was enough, let alone try to create content with it. Right. Um, but I always thought it'd be something to be kind of cool. And being that it is the COVID times, I'm like, look, if I'm ever going to try it, we can do it. If I don't like it, I can just, you know, stop. Yeah. And uh, so I decided to go into it and YouTube And it's been pretty crazy. You know, when I first started, I was kind of like, who would ever watch me? I mean, there's so many people that are out there that do it and there's professionals, you know, bigger name people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was really small at the beginning and it's still relatively small, but I think I average just under 10 viewers now when I'm playing like a consistent 10. So, and then the YouTube stuff's really taken off. So like my last, let's see, like 20 videos or so, like almost all of them get at least a thousand views. So it's like, Again, it's just been like kind of insane because I kind of just thought like, oh, I'm just some random guy on the internet. Don't expect too many people to watch. I'm going to enjoy the process. But it's like, it's done better than I ever expected, even if it's still really small relative. For me, I'm really excited. And it's, it makes it more fun playing too to kind of like mm-hmm. share the experience yeah. um, with people as well.
0: I mean, okay, can like we pause us for a second because I feel like this kind of fame runs in the family because your dad <laughs> is also YouTube famous.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So uh, my my parents and I, I'm an only child. And out of the three of us, I'm actually the last person to create a YouTube channel, which is kind of funny. I think the general (laughs) consensus is like the younger generation will be the first one. But uh, my dad's a huge fan of boats coming through the Sioux Locks. So they live up in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And uh, so he he started a YouTube channel, I want to say, probably like seven years ago at this point when he moved up there. And uh, he records the boats and people love it. And it's kind of funny like watching that because like at first, like I was the idea and it kind of like inspired me in a way. Cause it's like, even though that's not my hobby, just Mm -hmm. seeing like how much he loves it and like sharing it with people that have the same thing. And it's interesting because of like, it's a niche thing, like the boats and the suit locks, like most people don't even know about that, let alone are into it. And The same thing with poker. Like, most people have an they know poker exists they couldn't tell you the first thing about it and they're mm-hmm. definitely not watching a video about it but there's <laughs> enough people out there in the world that will somebody will watch it so yeah uh, it's it's kind of cool and it's just like crazy how the internet can bring things together um so even a super niche hobby like that so uh, the, i got some big shoes to live up to but we're working on it <laughs> do you
0: do you and your dad talk about your youtube channels together now when you guys talk on the phone or meet up
1: yeah we will talk about it and uh just you know getting some ideas uh from what he did i mean our stuff is very different um Mm -hmm. in general but uh it's still like obviously like hey how do you even start it and then you know like looking at there's an analytics section that can tell you okay Mm -hmm. here's how people can find your videos here's what they're searching when they find it so just little stuff like that is is definitely helpful
0: that's so sweet it's like i know they're very different you know filming the boats versus you playing poker, but it's so sweet that you and your family have been able to bond about it. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. It's been, it's been pretty cool for sure.
0: So you told me that you have some crazy poker stories that you want to share. So what, what comes to mind? Like what's one of the craziest things that's happened to you at a table?
1: Yeah. So I think that the, the craziest one was a promotion that I'd won. Uh, so there's this thing called a, a bad beat jackpot. So when you're playing in a cas- like a cash game in a casino, so that's the version where like you buy in for a dollar amount and you leave whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh they take a dollar from like every hand to put towards promotions in most places. Mm-hmm. So what the bad beat jackpot is is basically a super good hand gets beat by another really good hand. And if you have the losing hand, you get like forty percent of whatever this jackpot is. Oh
0: wow. Sometimes
1: fifty percent of it. Um
0: for losing? winning hand.
1: Yeah, for losing. So it's like you want to lose in this situation, right? Wow. Which sounds counterintuitive, but it is what it is. And um, so I'm in Pittsburgh playing a poker tournament the night before. So I'll kind of transgress back on this. Mm-hmm. So there's two days that you can play this tournament. And then if you make it through the, t- the first two days, you play on the second day, which is on Sunday, which is where you play down to a winner. So I go and you can play both days. So my plan is if I don't make it through the first time, I'll try the second time. Mm. So the first time I make it through, but like I get all in at a point at the very last level and I get really low and I hit my miracle card and I stay alive and I advance. So then wow. that the next day I have nothing to do. I'm in a city. I don't know anybody. So I'm like, okay, I'll go play some more poker. So I play cash games. And within an hour, this bad beat jackpot, I told you about, mm-hmm. I was involved in a hand that hit it and I had the losing hand. So I got half of the jackpot, Whoa. Um, which was for just under $16,000. So Holy
0: cow. yeah,
1: it was pretty crazy. Um, and the way it happened too, they had a loophole in their rule that basically made it where this hand qualified where like any other casino it went up. So usually you have to have both your whole cards play. So both mm-hmm. your cards plus three on the board, but here you only needed one of yours and then you could play four on the board. And that's what happened here. And the loophole was like, if the, the jackpot was over $30,000 um, the only need one card and the jackpot was at like 32, which is why I got half of that, oh. which was 16. So wow. because of like a loophole in their rule ended up paying <laughs> off huge for me and, uh, that was pretty insane.
0: Wow. That's crazy. This is a perfect segue though, into a topic that I'm very passionate about talking about, which is just kind of the history of the casino and kind of talking about like, you know, why people think casinos should be illegal and all of this other crazy stuff. So I know you've prepared this for me and I'm very excited.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think that, um, so I guess, first of all, like casinos, the first like structured ones came together in Venice in the 17th century. Oh, wow. Um, it's it, a long time far, ago. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot of underground stuff that was going on before that, but then they tried to basically put it more in the open and everything on the books kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it again, eventually it would one day go away from this like bad back road, a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the United States is like what, you know, as Americans, like we kind of view casinos as it is today it really started in Vegas in the 1930s. So before Vegas built like all the casinos that you see today, all the skyline, the entertainment they have, it was really just like open desert. So if you've ever been to Vegas, which I-
0: Yes, we've been to Vegas.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So like as you fly in, you can see, you see Vegas in the downtown, but it's literally just all desert. Yep. And other than that, and that's how the whole place was until they started building these massive casinos. And there was there was laws set up that only in Nevada could they even have these legally. Hmm. So it gave them a competitive advantage. Oh, um, wow. And then, yeah. And then so that's why like going to Vegas was such a big deal because like it was the only place you could gamble legally. So but then in the 1970s, New Jersey had Atlantic City. They created their basically the East Coast version of Vegas. And ever since then, more states have started having casinos. Um, so a lot it started a lot more in like, the 80s and 90s. Michigan had their first casino in 1996. And it's just kind of grown from there.
0: Wow. So I think one of the questions that I have, and I know we've talked about this off air, but one of the things that I have questions about is um, why people wanted casinos to be illegal. Like, what was the big beef? Like, why didn't we want them to exist? Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so I think it goes into, I think there's a couple things that play into it. So there's the physical casinos themselves are pretty available now. It's not as much of an issue, whereas you see a lot more legislation towards like the online. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really just stems down to the most part of people having a bad view on gambling in general. So like the first thing a lot of people think of is like, oh, somebody losing all their money. Right. Mm-hmm. So like that's the common first conception, you know, blowing money doesn't need to be spent or whatever. And uh, to me, I would always just say, I always, when I talk to people about it, I just say like I'd compare it to alcohol of like, if you abuse alcohol, yes, it's a very bad thing. But mm-hmm. for most people, it's just a very casual thing that's kind of accepted in society and I'd view gambling the same way. If like, you just go with your $40 to the casino. So instead of going out for dinner one night, you just spend, decide to spend your $40 at the casino. Like mm-hmm. your life's not any worse off. There's going to be people that do blow through their money. And unfortunately, it seems like everybody knows somebody who has a family member who, you know, had a bad situation with it. Mm. And uh, there's no doubt that like the casinos aren't built for free. They're built by people losing money in general. Yeah. Uh, So the nice thing for me playing poker is it's the one game in the casino that you're playing against other people, not the casino itself. Mm -hmm. So that's why it can make it um, to the point where you can make money. So even if the casino's making money, so like let's say they're making $10 an hour off me, Mm -hmm. but I'm making $30 an hour playing. I'm profiting 20 because I'm making 30, giving them back 10. Um, it's not exactly how it happens, but that's mm-hmm. the concept. But I think that's kind of what goes into people's bad thoughts on the casino and gambling, just in general. Um, now, as far as online, um, my opinion is, it really seems like the casinos want to make sure they're making their money. So if it goes online, <laughs> they don't feel like they're making it. Yeah. Um, and then, like, there's been a lot of like big name casino owners that have kind of been out against it. So um, interesting. But I there mean, is an couldn't... argument
0: couldn't they just make their own version of like the online gambling and like represent the casino that way? Like what's the big deal?
1: Yeah. And that's what's happening now. So Michigan had passed the law and it's at a state level now instead of federal. So each state makes their own decisions. So Michigan has their online casinos. I mean, they could be launching by the time this airs. It's basically any day now that they'll be up and running the regulated versions of it. Um, but yeah, so what they're doing a lot of times is these casino site or the the physical casinos themselves sorry are pairing up with like these online casinos or online poker rooms and then they basically split the profits so that that way they're making it um as well
2: and this is like brand new like within the past year maybe two that they've been doing this to get the states to legislate the rules
1: Exactly. So oh, wow. Nevada was the first one. I mean, no surprise because they're so big on gambling. I think it was like five or six years ago that they got it going, but Michigan's going to be like maybe the seventh or 8th that They'll have a full fledged casino. Um, a lot of other oh, states wow. have like just sports betting up, but uh, one of the main concerns that they say too, though, they don't want people underage playing. So like, again, it's hard to prove that someone sitting on a computer is how old they are or mm-hmm. who they are. So like someone could have their parents' credit card or, you know, that's like the theory yeah um out there so i mean that is a concern but in my you know unprofessional opinion i would just say i think a lot of it comes down to the money
0: that's just so interesting though because like everybody benefits from more money being in the economy whether it's through gambling or entertainment like it benefits a lot of us to have that
1: yeah i think it kind of just comes down to people's opinion on like regulating stuff so mm. some people think because gambling can be bad we're going to take it away from people Uh, But again, I've always used as the comparison of like alcohol, like drinking recreationally, having bars is very common in America and like Mm -hmm. almost acceptable by every single person. And I don't think, in my opinion, obviously I'm going to be a little biased here, but uh, (laughs) I'm going to say that, you know, gambling is no different. Mm. It's good in small portions, but again, yeah, it's definitely the potential there of losing all your money for sure.
0: That's just super interesting to me, especially because you were mentioning the odds are typically against you in the different games that you're playing. And people know that and still do it anyway. Um, And I know that the lotto tickets, like, you know, to win, you know, the $640 million, I think it's up to in Michigan recently, which is like crazy. Like, you know, the odds are against you, but you still do it anyway. And I think with lotto tickets, it's like, okay, they're only like two bucks. But with gambling, I feel like it is a lot more money.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people just like the rush of it. Mm. And So the casinos, for example, they make their money in very small edges. So say, for example, someone playing blackjack and they're not going to lose every time they go. So if the casino has like a 5% edge, it's it still gives the chance for the casual player to win. But over the long haul, the casino is going to win their money. So you're going to win a decent amount of the time. You know, so it's like in the long haul, the casino has so many people playing and you're going to come back enough times that you'll probably lose over the long haul. Uh, but as far as like explaining and that's why poker's tough though too is like so even though it's possible to make money in it mm-hmm. if you're bad at it, you're gonna lose even more money because not only are you losing to the casino now but you're losing to other players so it's like poker's the wide range one where it's like you can make money but you can probably lose the most at it too mm-hmm. um, and and two like for me i've I think i've only been to the casino like four other times to do anything but poker Mm -hmm. and it was to go with friends and i bet like the absolute minimum because like i know (laughs) i'm gonna lose over the long haul so it's like it's not interesting to me um (laughs) but like a general concept i always like explain to people is so the casino makes money of like let's say you flip a coin and every time you win they pay you four dollars and every time you lose you pay them five Well, a coin flips 50-50, and if you're paying out more than you're getting, over the long haul, you're going to lose. So if you flip the coin once, you could win. Um, And it'd be the same thing with poker, but just the other way of, like, when I go to a casino, I flip it, I get paid $6. If I lose, maybe that person I have to pay them 4 Well, they could beat me on a given day, but as long as, like, I'm studying, have a sound strategy over the long haul, it's going to pay off.
0: It, again, just reminds me of doing math problems on math tests and it makes me like my brain wander but I think one of the things also that I find really fascinating about you know streaming on Twitch and on YouTube we kind of talked about this a little bit but you've made a lot of friends on there I mean I know I have watched you stream poker probably once a week for the past couple of months and I know some of your regular like watchers is that pretty cool that you've like connected with all of these people in a virtual way?
1: Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Like going back to the thing, if there's so many people that are creating content out there, it's like, how do they decide to come to me? Who knows? But it's super exciting to have them there. And you know, every time you're getting on, it's nice to have like words of encouragement or like people that like are actually rooting because poker can be a pretty like individual game. It's, I mean, I would compare it to like a, individual sport like you're playing tennis like you're on a team but really it's an individual you're out there by yourself when you're playing singles and uh, poker is the same way it's like you have friends that play and such but at the end of the day like you're rooting for yourself and it's not like you're gonna have like a fan base behind you mm-hmm. um, but when you're streaming on twitch it's like you do literally have people in there watching you and like encouraging you and uh yeah. it's definitely a new dynamic i've never had before but i really enjoy it. and i appreciate the people that come in and watch it's uh pretty insane
0: yeah, I mean, shout out to Cena. He's one of my besties that watches you on poker and Far. And of course, yeah. we can't forget Choma. It's actually Choma's birthday today. So shout out to Choma.
1: Yes, <laughs> exactly. Happy birthday to him. Happy
2: birthday, Choma. <laughs>
0: Choma is one of David Kaye's friends, his best friend, actually, and they share a love of poker. So um, I didn't even know who Choma was, even though he went to high school with Pablo, until I got connected with you and watching you play poker, which is just hilarious to me.
1: Yeah, and, and I think, too, that's been really like helpful for me is having my best friend play poker as well. So he's like my one friend that we played home games with that like is also taking it seriously. Aww. And he actually plays professionally now. So I say I'm not even a semi-professional, but like that's what he does for his living. So it's been really cool to like kind of support each other again, because it is a very individual game, but just being able to like, we talk hands a lot, a lot and like study together. So it's really helpful to have someone that is a really good player that can bounce ideas off of to improve my game. And hopefully he gets a little bit of help from me too. <laughs>
0: that's awesome that's awesome that you guys have like that in common and can kind of chat about it um so choma's screen name on twitch is diva dave and i feel like there's a story behind that can you tell us about that
1: yes there is and uh so what it comes down to is my friends gave me the nickname diva in college and it just kind of ran so like we had i want to say it's like my freshman just together with a bunch of our friends and so dom went to high school and college with me and uh One of my friends that we had, she's like, oh, stop being such a diva, Dave. And then like everybody (laughs) lost it because they thought it was absolutely hilarious because I was going on like some funny rant or something and they're like, diva, Dave, that sounds so good. And then it just kind of stuck from there. I mean, it's just like any nickname. It's always like a weird beginning. And then for whatever reason, everybody loves it. And then Dom being in college and then also knowing from high school, he brought it back here. And, you know, it just kind of it's never been the same since it's always (laughs) diva, Dave. So and he's, he's pretty clever with the uh, trolling of me. So he made that his username to uh, kind of get at me. And I, I got to give him an A plus on that one.
2: I never think Diva when I hear David K. I agree with that. And that's what I've tried to say for years, too. And everybody's like, oh, no, you definitely are. And I'm like, I really don't think I am. But whatever
1: makes you guys happy. I mean, I, I'll agree. It sounds good, right? Like Diva Dave. Like, it sounds like it flows. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, are there any other cool poker stories that you just have to get out in the world that you want people to know about?
1: I think we've hit the main ones. I guess just going in more detail about the World Series of Poker, the really cool thing about that was just seeing all these people I'd seen on TV over the years. So I'm a fan of poker just as much as I enjoy playing it. Mm-hmm. So after like seeing all these guys on TV for years and years and like I would walk in, so they, it's at the Rio Hotel. Mm-hmm. And it's like walking into the Rio and it's like, oh, there's that famous guy that I know, that famous guy, like that I know from watching, not like personally know, but uh, it's just like so insane just to like see them all in person at once. And uh, yeah, I think that was a really cool thing. And then just like getting to talk with people and it's cool in that setting, because again, poker such is such a niche hobby to go somewhere where like mm-hmm. every single person loves the game just like you do. So it's really cool to be like around other people that have that same enthusiasm about it.
0: That's awesome. Well, David K., I want to thank you for joining us today and talking about poker. And for those listening, if you want to join David K. on his poker journey, you can find him on pretty much all social media as David K. Poker. I know you're on Twitter, you're on YouTube, you're on Twitch. What am I forgetting?
1: Uh, Instagram's the fourth one. And then, <laughs> yep, those are the four. <laughs>
0: Yes, we've been begging David Kay to get Instagram for years and he only got it because he got super fancy with his poker.
1: Yeah, and that was a funny thing with it too is like I've never been like a huge social media poster at all. Like Mm -hmm. I like reading Twitter for the sports news and that about sums up my social media use. (laughs) And then the one thing that finally gets me to create an Instagram is dedicated to just my poker stuff. So I guess whatever it takes, right? It's better than nothing.
0: That's right. That's right. We're happy to have you in the Instagram community now, David Kay. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us and we'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me, Lisa. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Things My Friends Know. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.